Sorry about the hiatus, everybody, but guess what? We are back. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, the host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. This is episode number, let's see, numero 84, 84, episode 84. Um, guys, thanks a bunch for tuning in. I, uh, I, I'm really sorry about the uh, hiatus that, that happened there. It's been about three weeks since we posted an episode. Uh, a lot of things happened. Obviously, you guys know this is a hunting show, so finding hunting guests during hunting season can be a little challenging. And then on top of that, <laughs> uh, I, apparently I killed my computer that I usually record from. It just uh, I'd, I'd like turn it on, and then it would just shut itself off. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not super techie. Don't know what happened. Bought a new computer. Problem solved. Um, I've got a great episode for you guys, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in just a minute. But I, before we get there, I need to announce a winner for our Phelps Game Calls giveaway. Yeah, that's right. Remember, I, I was asking everybody to send in their um, submission out in the woods calling for elk. And if you if you just did that, uh, you know, 5, 10 second video, maybe 30 second video of you calling for elk, uh, that would give you one entry. If you got a response from a fired up bowl and you heard it and it was uh, you could hear it on the recording, you got you got two entries. And if you uh, killed the bull, <laughs> well, that would give you three entries. Nobody killed the bull, but uh, we did get a couple of them where they got a response and, and they did get two entries. So I put it in my randomizer and picked out a winner. So the winner for the Phelps call giveaway, this is going to be a bugle tube, some reeds, a pouch to keep your reeds in. Uh, some Western Huntsman stickers, stuff like that. Uh, it's a pretty cool package. Um, the winner for this Phelps Calls giveaway is Joshua Bong or Bonfiglio. Gosh, I hope I pronounced your name right. Joshua Bonfiglio. Um, you, sir, are the winner. Congratulations. <laughs> Hear all the people cheering. There you go, brother. Call me. I need you to uh, send me an email at jimofthewesternhuntsman.com. Uh, that is jim at thewesternhuntsman.com. Shoot me an email with your address, and I will get this package out to you. Uh, and it is on your way. We are going to have another Phelps Call giveaway here pretty soon, so uh, just kind of stay tuned for that. Uh, the other thing I, I uh, wanted to cover is, I don't know if you guys remember, but um, last spring I had somebody on, his name is Jim Heffelfinger, and I'm sure most of you know who he is. Um Super cool dude. I had him on uh, the the show to talk, you know, deer management and stuff like that. But I had a, a question popped into my mind that uh, has, has and it's always kind of been there, and it's something that um, I've just never known the answer to. And instead of like becoming, you know, one of the famous, the infamous uh, Facebook wildlife managers out there when talking to people, 
uh, I wanted to get the answer from an actual ex expert before I form my own opinion. The reason I do that is uh, be because that's what you should do. Um, I, I, it's hunting season, so being on social media is really frustrating right now. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's like a Facebook wildlife manager or on Instagram. They're not as nasty on Instagram, but um, I, I see a lot of opinions flying around without having the facts to back it up. And, and these are opinions that form, you know, through your own experience, maybe, you know, or, or somebody told you this when you were younger or somebody just told you this and it just sounded right to you, but it's inaccurate. It's wildly inaccurate. In fact, this episode, the guest that I have on today is going to help you change your mindset uh, as to how you respond and react with stuff like that. If you're one of those people that form opinions without actually doing any homework on it, I'm not saying any of you are like that. I'm not, not saying any of you are like that. All I'm saying is on social media right now, there's just a lot of bullshit and, and people talking about things that don't know what they're talking about. And, and it's, we need to educate ourselves on, on these subjects. So what I did is I reached out to Jim Heffelfinger and the question is basically, uh, let me skip all this blah, 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 blah. During the rut, whether mule deer, whitetail, blacktail, coos, cows, uh, or name your species, in the event that there is not a mature buck around, will a doe allow a young buck to breed her? And uh, I said, you know, whether it's a forked horn or even a spike or something like that. Um, I've always wondered that. If, if like, there's no mature bucks around, will the young buck... Uh, get a chance to breed that breed that doe. Same kind of thing with elk. Uh, will a satellite bull, you know, get a chance? So he responded, and uh, Jim. He, I just want to read Jim's response. And just, for for those those of you that didn't hear the episode or don't know who Jim Heffelfinger is, let me just tell you real quick. Uh, Jim, in my opinion, Jim Heffelfinger is the leading wildlife deer expert in the world. Uh, and, and I, I don't say that lightly. I, I strongly believe that, that Jim is, he's very much focused on deer. He's got a lot of experience with deer. He's involved with all sorts of things, deer management, uh, mule deer, cows, deer, uh, however you want to say it, cows, coos, um, Jim pronounces it cows, deer. And since he's the expert on deer, <laughs> I guess I'm going to pronounce it cows, deer. I don't know. Um, the, po the point is, 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 is he is an expert. So this, this information comes with a lot of credibility, a lot of study, a lot of research, science, that kind of stuff. It's not just some slap your knee, uh, shoot from the hip kind of opinion. Jim, young bucks getting a lot more action than people think. Genetic research in South Texas by Randy DeYoung showed that even with a very mature buck age structure and a narrow buck to doe ratio, the one and two year olds still sire a lot of fawns. Like Jeff um, Goldblum said in Jurassic Park, nature finds a way. It keeps the gene pool diverse, it at least more so than if you had a couple mature bucks fathering most of the next year's fawn crop, which that actually makes a lot of sense. That information is best known from white-tailed deer just because the genetic research has been done looking at, at uh, parentage. A lot of twin buck fawns have different fathers. The same research hasn't been done on mule deer or elk, but I suspect young satellite bulls are able to access to uh, get access to estrus females more than we like to think. We see big males dominating a harem of females, but sneaking in can go a long way while the dominant male is busy. So essentially, what he's saying, like like uh, during September, that you've got you've got your your herd bull out there, and he's kind of dominating the harem. 
uh, all the cows are, you know, with him. He, they, he thinks they're they're all his his ladies, and uh, while he's busy tending to one, uh, or or not paying attention, or whatever the case is, maybe he's feeding, or maybe he went down to the wallow. A satellite bull's gonna sneak in and uh, do his thing, uh, if you know what I mean. And so, kind of the same thing with deer. Um, so there you go. There you have it, folks. Uh, from from who I think is the world's leading deer expert. Uh, and wildlife uh, scientist, uh, Jim Heffelfinger, um, great guy. I'm going to try to get him back on the show uh, because, that you know, he answered that question in such a great way that it, like, leads to a lot more questions uh, along those lines. And, and you guys know I like to geek out on that shit. So um, thanks a bunch, Jim, for, for bringing that up. So uh, real quick, let's knock out our sponsors, guys. Phelps Game Calls. Don't forget to go on to phelpsgamecalls.com and check out all the calls. Right now um, is a great time to start stocking up on your elk calls. They've got some some deer calls. They've got a lot of predator calls. Um, get out there and and use those calls, man. They they work great. I I have had a lot of success with all of Phelps stuff. They're the oldest sponsor on the show. Uh, they're my friends. They're great people. Um, and so if you want real elk calls that are effective because they're made by people who really call in a huge bull elk huge deer all you know they're just successful guys successful hunters that just know what they're doing go to phelpsgatecalls.com and use promo code huntsman10 for 10 percent off there you go you get a discount scree gear guys uh one thing that i switched up this year with my scree is i i actually broke down and finally bought the rain pants i've always used just the regular you know the hard scrabble pants and then put gaiters on or whatever uh which i'm not super uh hip on doing i hate wearing gaiters so i i I would usually just leave those at the truck and deal with uh wet ankles and wet feet and wet legs anyway this year i i uh, bought the rain pants and ended up in a rainstorm uh the rain gear is freaking worth it it is worth the money it kept me in the field longer than uh than i have in the past because i i was just dry the whole time so check out screegear.com use promo code the western huntsman for 15 percent off and free shipping what a deal Check it out. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is my boot of choice. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of Hoffman Boots. I, I uh, love my Explorers in the 8-inch, uh, non-insulated for early season. Get the insulated for late season. They've even got a 10-inch boot. Uh, they've got the Summits. Uh, it's the best boot out there for the money. You can't beat it. It's a great deal. And to make it even better for you, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. By the way, that is all caps lock on that one. Last but not least, Tacticam. Tacticam is your self-filming or POV camera uh, of choice if uh, you guys want to film your hunts or, or you just want to get some nice POV angles, point of view from, like, you could shoot from the scope, you can, or I'm sorry, film from the scope, you can attach it to your, your weapon in some states that allow that, make sure you're checking your regs. Uh, but the biggest thing I love about Tacticam right now, I am addicted to my Reveal X cell cams. Guys, I have some available at thewesternhuntsman.com if you want to jump on there. I have like four Verizon Reveal X cell cams left. I think I've got four. Uh, they sell like hotcakes, so uh, don't miss out. If you hear this before I've updated the website, I am working on that, but they are there. If if uh, if the website's not working, by the way, because it's it's a pain in the butt for me to go in and update this, uh, I, because the inventory, I think I, when it, when it runs out of inventory, it takes it off my site automatically. So I got to update the inventory and I might not be able to get to that. Uh, cause actually I shot a buck yesterday and I got to process it. But anyway, if you want to reveal X cell cam, uh, they are 149.99. Uh, and just hit me up at jim at the I won't charge you shipping, uh, and we'll figure it out. 
So uh, that is until the website is up and running again uh, with, with the Reveal X. So check it out at thewesternhuntsman.com forward slash gear, and you can find all your Tacticam items. Okay. With that, guys, yeah, like I said, I, I did shoot a deer yesterday. My uh, Both my girls, I'm just giving you a quick season recap update here. Both my girls are tagged out, 10- and 12-year-old Shiloh and Pays. I got them tagged out. Um, somebody I've been mentoring for a long time, a uh, few years, uh, my cousin Andrew Tucker, he got his first buck, and on the same day, I shot a buck. <laughs> so it was a good hunting day. Uh, not a monster. It was crazy. I shot this buck uh, 346 yards, I think. And that is the longest shot I've taken in like a decade because I'm in North Idaho. We don't have super long shots most of the time. So, uh, that was a, it was a cool one shot, brought him down. And, uh, so I'm going to spend the rest of the day, uh, butchering that deer up. And uh, so anyway, one of my two deer tags is, is, uh, is done. I've still got my elk tag and uh, a bear tag and a few other things going on this, this spring or oh, spring. Jeez, man, it's fall. Anyway. Let me know how your seasons are going at jimofthewesternhuntsman.com. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and all those places like that. Guys, my guest today, his name is Weldon Long, and he goes by Wally. And he has one hell of a story. So I want to let you guys know that this is this is a little, it's a slight diversion from the regular episodes that we do. Weldon is not a hunter. Um... I guess one way to put it to you is this. Have you ever in your life as you know, you're starting out in your career or whatever, um, come across somebody that makes a wildly huge and very relevant impact on the trajectory of your life and, and your career and your mindset? Um, that's who Weldon is to me. A little over a decade ago, I saw him at a seminar, didn't know who he was. Uh, and, and he gave this, uh, this talk, this, this this discussion that he was given this seminar changed my life. I mean, it changed it changed my mindset. It changed a lot of things. And I'm not one that you know goes to all these different motivation seminars and different things like that and falls for every one of them. I like people who have a message of substance and relevancy that you can actually apply to your own life. And I've talked about this before. And that's what Wally did. Wally brought his A game on this seminar. Uh, that I attended and, and it did, it changed the trajectory of my career. Um, I was okay at my career prior to meeting Wally. Uh, I was at the top of my game after I met Wally. And so he's just a fantastic individual with one hell of a story. You're going to hear from a guy who spent much of his young adult life in prison and then turned it around and became a multimillionaire, uh, beaches in Hawaii, or I'm sorry, houses in Hawaii, uh, multi, you know, six figure type kind of cars in his garage, uh, huge homes in Colorado. I'm not saying that to impress you. It's, it's to impress upon you the, the complete dichotomy of his life and, and how it has changed from this poor, uh, convict that knew nothing but, but crime and, 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 and doing these, these kind of things that got him in trouble to this dude who is a man of integrity and honesty and character and and he's just a great guy to learn from and you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode so i want to encourage you to go on to his instagram at weldon long and uh, if you guys are following him and you're following the western huntsman on instagram uh, I am going to be going through and checking who's following both of those, and I'm going to pick a winner to send one of his books to. Actually, I've got three of his books, so I'm, we're going to be giving those books away. Um, so make sure you check them out. 
uh, with that, guys, I, I'm going to let the let him do the rest of the introduction, and let's get right into it with Weldon Long. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you guys are here. I am really excited about this episode, and I know I say that a lot, but uh, this one in particular is going to be um, one that I have thought about having for a long time, and and two, it is a um, a little bit off the, the normal beaten path that we usually take on this show. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and my guest today, his name is Weldon Long. Do you mind if I call you Wally? Absolutely. No problem. All right. Wally is somebody who has been um, an inspiration to me in my life. And and it's funny. I want to tell the story how I first came across you, Wally. It, it uh, I, I worked for a company called Western Heating and Air, and I, I was a salesman for Western Heating and Air down in uh, Orem, Utah for a, for a guy named Ryan Snow, who was just an absolute visionary, excellent guy to work for. Um, and I'm still in touch with him. Great guy. Anyways, uh, interestingly, in, in that particular region, there was this blue ribbon trout stream uh, right outside of town. And I would be basically my my day job consisted of this. I'd run a I'd run a sales call in the morning. They'd usually set it up for, you know, nine, ten o'clock. Uh, and then I would have a few hours in between sales calls and I would go up to that river and fish in between sales calls. And um my uh, Ryan, my boss, he calls calls me up and he says, "Hey, we're going to go to the seminar that uh, one of the I, I think distributors was putting on, or so, something along those lines." He says, "We're gonna we're gonna go hit this uh, seminar and, and uh, watch this guy talk, uh, give us his story, and and um, uh, go go learn something." And I was a little bit annoyed about it, Wally, because the the time of year I believe it was like September or October, and the and the streamer fishing on the river was like just epic that time of year. And it was it was back when I was just overly obsessed with uh, with fly fishing, so I, I kind of was a little bit grumpy about it. Had a little bit of heartburn about it because I, I wanted to be fishing. So we go to the seminar, and and you come out and and give us your story and uh, talk to us about what you've done with your life, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, and it, it, it kind of changed the tra- trajectory of, of my career in a lot of ways. And I want to say this was back in, gosh, it had to be like 2010 or 2012 or something like that. I mean, we're talking over 10 years ago. I, re- I remember that event. It was that like, a uh, an outdoor. Yeah. Place, it was at Cabela's uh, bath or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, Where was the, it? It was at the Cabela's in Lehigh, Utah. Yeah, Cabela's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they told me we were, I was going to be speaking at Cabela's. I'm like, what the hell? But mm-hmm. they had a whole meeting center that, there. It was awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't even know that place existed. The in the you go upstairs at the Cabela's and there's like all these conference rooms, and I, I didn't know they were there. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great event. So, um, so you guys are going to hear what what we're going to talk about. Wally is an expert in in training your mind, how to think the right way, mindset training, um. And, and you're going to learn why it has been so effective with Wally. Uh, I, I want Wally to kind of talk about his backstory, his life, how he's gotten to this point. And, and what I want you guys to get out of this episode as you're listening to this is, you know, in, in the hunting space and in the hunting community, 
we have a lot of people out there that whether it's a podcast or YouTube videos or, or whatever the case is, um, there's this really awkward way of trying to mesh hunting with, you know, the proper motivation and mindset because hunting is, is very challenging to be successful. You do have to have the right mindset. You have to be disciplined. You have to know what you're doing, all these things. And, and there's this weird, awkward, um, fusion that tries to have uh, take place in, in the hunting space. And I think people try too hard. And I, I think my, my, my point with that is motivation and mindset is motivation and mindset, irregardless of what space it is, whether it's your day job or you're hunting or, or whatever other hobby or whatever you're putting your mind to mindset is mindset. And Wally is an expert at putting this together. So Wally, again, uh, I, I don't think I've mentioned it since I hit the record button, but I, I sure appreciate you taking some time and coming on the show, brother. Thanks for being here. It, it's my pleasure, Jim. I'm glad to know how we connected. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw you again in, uh, when I worked for another great guy, his name's Tony Marmon, Marmon, uh, owns a company called trademark mechanical up here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, okay. you called him Hollywood. Him and I went to your seminar. It was in Portland. And, uh, he's a okay. good looking dude, man. And, uh, he, he's super fashionable. So you called him Hollywood. And, uh, <laughs> okay. so, I remember that. anyways, um, now great, great stuff, man. Uh, give us a little bit of, uh, tell us your, tell us your backstory. Let's start with that. Cause it, it's an amazing story. Give us, give us, uh, kind of where it all started and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. I, I find it's always helpful to kind of, to kind of start and go backwards. Cause, uh, I, I think, you know, my life is such a, a contrast of, you know, desperation and poverty and misery and today a life of, of, of wealth and success and prosperity. Uh, but I started out, uh, I guess my story really starts in the ninth grade when I dropped out of high school, started running the streets and was a, a real knucklehead and thought I was out there, thought I was a, a grown up and thought I knew what I was doing. And uh, just not really having much direction in my life. One night uh, in 1987, I'm drunk and high on cocaine. I ended up picking this guy up hitchhiking, and we get the bright idea a couple hours later, we hold uh, two men at gunpoint. We were very quickly apprehended, and I had never been in any criminal trouble before in my life. I was a punk. I was a knucklehead, uh, you know, but I, I wasn't a, a criminal uh, until that night. It's just one series of bad decisions after another. Quickly apprehended. Uh, next thing I know, a few months later, I'm in front of a judge. And because of the nature of the offense, he sentenced me to state penitentiary uh, for 10 years uh, here in Colorado. So I went down to the state penitentiary for about four and a half years. And the parole board, in their wisdom, thought I had learned my lesson. And they, uh, they paroled me in 1991 at 27 years old. Uh, I'm back on the streets. I'm still a ninth grade high school dropout. I'm still a punk. I'm still a knucklehead. Now I'm a convicted felon to boot. And so I pretty much thought my life was over at 27 years old. It was pretty much done. So not much opportunity for a guy in my situation. Ran the streets about 18 months. Ended up hooking up with some guys I met in the penitentiary. And within a year and a half later, I was back in the penitentiary a second time on gun charges and parole violations. They sent me back. I did about two years that time. They cut me loose again at 30 years old. So my 20s were basically sacrificed to the State Department of Corrections. Yeah. 30 years old, I'm back in the streets. Now I'm a two-time convicted felon, still a knucklehead, still a punk, no education, no skills, no nothing, and ended up getting involved with some sketchy telemarketing operation out in Las Vegas. That worked out for about 18 months until one day the FBI came in and uh, was indicted on federal money laundering and mail fraud charges. And at 32 years old, I was sentenced to the federal penitentiary 
for seven years. And uh, at 39 years old, at the end of those seven years, I walked out to a homeless shelter here in Colorado, uh, but within five years had built an Inc. 5000 company, had written my first book. I've since then written two other books. And uh, it all really changed while I was in prison that last time. I had kind of that moment of clarity. And that's when I began to study this process of the mindset and the neurology that, that kind of creates our thoughts and our lives. And it changed everything in my life. And, uh, and, and obviously that is a a super, you know, high altitude bird's eye view. Um, before we go too much further with that, because I kind of, I I have some questions about some of that, but, um, you wrote a book called the upside of fear. And if, if you guys listening want to, want to hear, which I recommend this, um, Wally, that book Mind you, I read a lot. I read a lot of books. I, I mean, I, I geek out on all sorts of self-help, sales books, you know, uh, just all sorts of different types of books. The only thing I don't read read is fiction. I don't I don't read a lot of fiction. So the point to to what I'm getting at is the book that you wrote, The Upside of Fear. It's the only book that I've ever picked up and completely finished it in an afternoon. I could not put this book down. Wow, it's freaking amazing. And it's, it's one of those books that it's just like, you know how when you're reading a book and, and you'll get like, okay, this chapter is really good. Okay, this chapter is a little dry. And, and it's just kind of this roller coaster ride throughout the whole thing. Not, not the upside of fear. The entire book was like, it might, I pissed my wife off because she wanted me to be doing all these chores around the house or whatever. And I, I couldn't put the book down. And so uh, you got me in trouble. <laughs> but um, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the book tells the story and it talks about what, what changed in you. Cause like you were saying, um, you know, you, you were a knucklehead, you did all these things when a convicted felon and something changed in prison and, and without giving away too many details as to, you know, the, you know, what people should read the book to really get the, get this full story. But, um, you saved somebody. Uh, and it, I, I want to say it was after your father had died. Can you kind of talk about that that section of your your history? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. By the way, I tell people my books are easy to read because they were written by a ninth grader, <laughs> so there's no big words or anything. Uh, and I appreciate you know I wrote that book by the way, The Upside of Fear. I didn't consider myself a writer. I had been out of prison uh, about five years. I had built a company. And uh, people had, you know, I was a, I was a contractor. I built a couple of contracting companies and people told me you should write a book. And so I, I did, but I didn't consider myself a writer. And that book came out in 2009. It was selected as Writer's Digest Best Independent Book of the Year and also uh, New York Book Festival's Best Autobiography of the Year. I'm like, dang, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe there's I something to it. it. Yeah. We'll back up and uh, before, before, before I got there. So really things began to change for me in 1996. Uh, I was, I'd already done about six years in the, in the state of Colorado penitentiary system. Now I was in the federal system in 1996, starting that seven year bit. And, uh, in 1996, my father passed away and that was kind of the moment of clarity in my life. My dad died unexpectedly at 59 years old. I was 32 years old. I had a three-year-old son that I had fathered when I'd been out on parole earlier. And so in 1996, my dad dies suddenly. I'm looking at this this son of mine is three years old that I'd abandoned because I you know, went back to prison. And it was the first time in my life, like I just like the blinders came off. And honestly, you know, Jim, I just saw myself with a real first class piece of shit that I was. And there's just no way to, sure. to, to sugarcoat that. I was just like, 
just a total, total loser. And for so many years of my life, I had blamed everybody else for that situation, the condition, the quality and character of my life. And when my dad died, I picked up a couple of books, the first of which was uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Stephen Covey. And, and that book started teaching me about responsibility, right? That I have a choice in my life. Yeah, you know, bad things going to happen to you, but you always have a choice. To to chime in on on that that point there, uh, shortly after your seminar, I sold a complete furnace and uh, heat pump system to uh, Franklin, or, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm tro- totally drawing a blank here. Stephen Covey, um, I sold a, a system to his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franklin Covey. I sold a, company, a yeah. I, I sold a full system to his uh, his brother. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, is that right? Utah. Anyway, uh, yeah. just side note. Yeah, that's you know, uh, that's where. Steve, yeah, Stephen Covey taught at BYU, and uh, he was a very mm-hmm. uh, devout Mormon and was very involved in the. Uh, as I say, he's one of the grand poobahs there in the church. But uh, yeah, they were very well connected there in the Salt Lake City Provo yeah, area and all yeah. that all that business. But you know that that was one of the first books I read that that I'm like well, maybe just maybe I'm responsible for all this. You know, maybe it's not out there. Maybe it's an inside job. You know. And so I began this process of studying about the mindset. And basically what I learned, which I'll get to the story about, about saving this cop that you talked about. But I started reading about this whole concept that we become what we think about all day long, you know, and that what we habitually focus on in our minds eventually manifest in our life. And we can talk about that neurological process that makes it happen. But I began to study it. I'm like, holy shit, like my life sucks because my thinking sucks. You know, like all the chaos in my brain is getting out and showing up in my life. And so I came to this realization that I got to put better stuff in my brain. So I sat down a little metal desk in my my cell and I wrote out for me what a perfect life would look like. The first thing I wrote down is I'm an awesome father to my son, which of course wasn't true at the time, but Stephen Covey taught me in the seven habits that I could live out of my imagination rather than my past. So I wrote down, I'm an awesome father to my son. I'm wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. I have a beautiful home on Maui beautiful home in Colorado, a beautiful wife I can love and trust. And I have all, all these amazing things. And the very last thing I wrote in that sheet of paper was that I'm a, I'm a man of honor, character, and integrity. And that was a pretty unlikely list of things to happen, right? I had a better chance of getting struck by lightning and winning the lottery on the same day than any of those things happened because it was so far away from the person I actually was. But again, I was living out of my imagination. I began uh, to use this process to recondition my subconscious brain, develop new habitual uh, thoughts. And we can talk sure. about all the mechanics of that if you want. But 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 this went on and, and, and six years later, you know, I had completely changed my mindset and I was just about a year away from getting out of prison. And uh, I was on the phone one day and the prison guard for that unit I was in was walking by. And just as he walked past me, he fell down. At first, I thought he tripped or something. So I hung the phone up and I turned around And this dude's lying on the floor and he's flopping around like a fish out of water, having some kind of seizure. Now, the number one of the penitentiary is really simple. The police are not your friend. You know, you don't talk to the cops except when you have to. You don't help them. You don't do anything. I had seen dudes get beat to an inch of their life just for talking to cops too much, right? So here this cop is flopping around on the ground and I got to make a decision, right? Now, you would think my decision would have been, you're a cop. It sucks to be you. Because it's all it's yeah. all convicts in that cell house. He was the only cop. But I reached in my mind to make a decision. And when I reached in my brain to make that decision in that split second, instead of pulling out of my brain, it sucks to be you, I pull out of my brain, 
the very last thing I had written on that sheet of paper. I'm a man of honor, character, and integrity, which meant, of course, I had to do something. And the point is, when you put better things in your brain, better things come out. Again, we can talk about the neurological mechanics of that. But I knew in that moment I had to help this guy. So I jumped down over him. He's having this seizure. And my plan was, you know, he's knocking himself in the head with his hands. So I'm trying to kind of stabilize his, his hands, his, get my hands around his wrist. And just as I get my hands around his wrist, all of a sudden, like somebody turned off a light switch, dude just died. I didn't know if he had a heart attack or a seizure, an aneurysm. I didn't know what the hell happened. All I know, he was violently struggling. And then he was just, boom, he collapsed. So right away, I'm thinking, this dude just died right here in front of me. Of course, my second thought is, yeah, they're going to think yeah. I'm the one that did it, you know, because I'm the dumbass convict over the dead cop, you know, but I know I got to help this guy. If I'm truly going to be a man of honor, character, and integrity, I got to do something. So I, okay, I got to do CPR. Problem is I didn't know anything about CPR, right? As I tell people, only thing I knew about CPR was the stuff I'd seen <laughs> yeah. on Baywatch, right? In slow motion. So I thought for a moment about Pamela Anderson and what she would do in that situation. <laughs> I visualized her. Just kidding. I just, I, I started pushing on his chest. I started pushing on his chest, right? Because I, I remembered that yeah. from CPR stuff I'd seen in the movies or whatever. Push on his chest, nothing happens. Push on his chest, nothing happens. Then I realized if I'm going to get oxygen in this, in this cat's bloodstream, I got to put my mouth on his mouth. So I put my mouth on his mouth. Yeah, I, I, I can oh, I can taste man. the Dr. Pepper he'd been drinking when he fell down. It was all I could do not to gag on the guy. But I breathe, but nothing happens. I breathe again, nothing happens. I push on the chest some more, nothing happens. Dude is dead as a doornail. I have no idea what I'm doing. About three minutes into this process, I hear uh -huh. a bunch of cops bum rushing the, the, the cell house, right? A couple of the guys had taken off to get some help. Uh, to, you know, and the co cops come rushing in and one of the, they're locking down the cell house, you know, it's just going crazy. And, uh, one of the cops comes running around, kneels down next to me. He told me later, he knew right away I was trying to help the guy, but this cop that knelt down next to me, he knew how to do CPR. So he tells me like, okay, you got to pinch the nose and tilt the head back to open up the airway, right? Cause sure. I was just breathing in his mouth and it was coming right back out his nose. So you got to pinch the nose, you got to tilt the head back. So he, he, he'd tell me, breathe, you know, not too hard. And tell me, how, and so I did it, right? Like two times or whatever. Then he would do the chest compressions, right? Then he would say, okay, breathe four times. He would, so he starts, we start getting this rhythm. He tells me how many times to breathe. And all of a sudden we start getting this rhythm. And after about a minute, I can see color coming back to this cat's face. Like I'm thinking, holy shit, we're getting oxygen in his bloodstream. If this dude lives, you know, he might not have brain damage. So this goes on for another two or three minutes. And all of a sudden, Jim, just as quick as this guy left, he came back to life, dude. And he came back to life the very moment, of course, that my mouth was squarely on his. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy's eyes open up. He opens his eyes. All he sees is a convict in gray on top of him, and he just starts swinging. He's, he's coming up swinging, having no idea what's going on. So I kind of scramble away, and the other cop kind of steps in and says, you're okay, you're okay. They get him off to the hospital. Turns out the dude's heart has stopped for 90 seconds something like that, a minute and a half or so. Oh, wow. And it was some reaction he had to some medication he was taking. But here's the craziest part of the story. Two weeks later, I get a letter from the warden. And basically, the warden says, you know, thank you for what you did. And he says, your willingness to cross the invisible barrier between inmate and staff is a testament to your sense of humanity ah, yeah. and good character. Now, mm -hmm. character was the exact same thing I had written on a sheet of paper six years earlier. I'm a man of honor character and integrity. And the point is I began to put better things in my brain and eventually yeah. I, I pulled better things out of my brain. 
And that was one of those signature moments of my life where I knew I only had a year left to serve at that time. I'm like, my life, I'm in the right direction, man. I'm going to the right places. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to talk about this, uh, the what you're putting into your head, what you're putting into your brain, and so you're, you're, what you're pulling out. Because in, I think that one of the biggest problems we have, you know, if you, if you, you take like social media out of, out of society, <laughs> the next biggest problem right. is people have a, uh, they have a shitty attitude. People have a shitty attitude yeah. about things. And sometimes it's not their fault. Uh, it's, it's what they were taught as kids. You know, they maybe their parents had shitty attitudes and everything's negative and everything is, you know, against them. They're victims. They're, um, it's, it, everything is everybody else's fault. It's never their responsibility. Um, I talk about uh, on, yeah. on this show, we do something called the, uh, school of September series and school of September series is where I bring on expert elk hunters that are just absolute, um, slayers of, of elk in, in, in September. And I don't know how familiar you are with, with, uh, elk hunting, but September is the rut month. That's when the elk start, start screaming and bugling and going nuts and you can call them in and get them with your bow. And so it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's my favorite time of year. Um, and, and one of the things that I talk about actually kind of the, the, the foundation that the idea of it derived from, from your messaging, uh, especially out of this book and, and what you, I remember you were talking about if you put a bunch of, uh, parts in a box and pulled it out and they were all motorcycle parts, you're not going to pull out and get a birthday cake, right. Or, or something along, I'm, I'm probably, right. <laughs> probably slaughtering that, uh, that phrase, but no, that's pretty close. Actually. Yeah, that's pretty close. It, what, what you're putting into your head is what you're going to pull out when you need it. And and so the idea with uh, I call it a toolbox when when you're in the hunting woods and, and you've you've listened to the entire series of School of September, you've heard experts talk about this scenario and that scenario. And they're they're uh, they're 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 putting all these tools in your toolbox. You're going to pull that out and and have it for the right time. And, and that the idea of that, uh, again, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, keeping it short here. Um it, it comes from, from what you talk about with that. And, and I think that a lot of people could learn a lot and do a lot of good things with their own personal lives. If they knew what was going into their mind and uh, how they were utilizing that information and putting it back out into their own lives. So their lives aren't so shitty and, and negative all the time. And whether it's about, yeah. you know, your income level or your job or, you know, everybody, everybody talks about, um, you know, how, shitty their boss is, but yet they're not willing to become their own boss. And uh, they, they, they talk about how they could run a company better, but, but they never do it. Right. And, and so what's, what's going right. into these people's minds? Can you, can you talk about that and, and, and really hammer home that point of, yep. of, of mindset and your, your thinking and, and, and how you, how you can relate that to, to everybody else's life. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, th yeah. The first thing I would say, I agree with you that a lot of times the things that happen when we're young are not our fault. Sometimes as adults, it's not our fault, but I watched this great uh, video from Will Smith, the actor one time, and he said, it may not be your fault, but it's still your responsibility to fix it. And so, so it true. may not be our fault that our mom was a drunk or our dad beat us or our dad was poor, whatever. That might not be our fault, right? But it's still our responsibility uh, not to use that as an excuse to perpetuate that behavior, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's something really important to understand. And what you're talking about, people complaining and whining, um, you know, it, it, it's just a lack of personal responsibility, right? People think that the problem's out there, that if, you know, I, if this was better, if that was better, I would be better. Well, that's all horseshit, yeah. right? Because if it is to be, it's up to me. And we have the ability 
to respond to any situation. And I can have a shitty job. Well, I can have a great response, which might be, like you said, opening your own company or get a different job or just get better at my job. Doesn't matter. We always have the ability to respond. If you look at the word responsibility, responsibility and flip it around, it literally says the ability to respond, right? We have the ability to respond to any situation, whether it's our fault or not, and to be proactive and to make better decisions, right? So that's the essence of personal responsibility. Getting back to this mindset thing that you were mentioning, the metaphor I use, and you kind of hit it on the head there. You know, if I got a box of motorcycle parts and I start pulling out the components of that motorcycle and I start putting them together, at some point the box is empty and I look to admire this beautiful mechanical creation that I built, you know, this beautiful motorcycle that I built out of these motorcycle parts. Uh, what are the odds I would realize I didn't build a motorcycle, but instead I baked a cake? Well, you can't bake a cake out of motorcycle parts, right? Whatever's in that box is what you're going to pull out. Well, that box is a metaphor for our mind and the components of our lives, just like the components of that motorcycle in that box, the components of our lives are in our head, right? Our wealth, our relationships, our health, everything about our life is in there. And then what happens, Jim, is we go through life and every single day, uh, neuroscientists estimate that we make about 30,000 individual small decisions every single day, what I call seemingly inconsequential decisions. 30,000 times a day, we make small decisions. And every time you make a decision, you're metaphorically reaching in your box and pulling out a piece of your life, mm -hmm. right? So we go through life uh, year after year, decade after decade. At some point, we get to the end of the line, right? The end of a marriage, the end of a career, maybe the end of our lives, whatever the case may be. And when we look at our lives, we're going to understand that our lives are a perfect reflection of whatever was in our box, whatever was in our head. Right. So if I've got a head full of a mind full of uh, optimism and love and prosperity and happiness, then that's all that I can pull out. On the other hand, if my mind is full of scarcity and anger and resentment and jealousy and and, and all that, then then that's what I'm going to pull out. Right. So, you know, it's when you understand the relationship between what you're thinking every day, your habitual thoughts and what you're living in your life. You understand how important it is to think about what you think about before you think about it. But most of us go through life all day long thinking, 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 thinking about our job, thinking about our family, thinking about going hunting, thinking about our kids, thinking about our bills, thinking, 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 but we never take the time to think about what we're thinking about. And when you understand how important it is to know what's going on inside that box, then you understand the importance of paying attention to what you're thinking and how that relates to your life. And it's a very simple neurological process that kind of takes our thoughts and has them show up in our life. We can talk about that yeah, if you so want. Does that, does that play into like, you know, what you're surrounding yourself with, the people you're hanging out with? Um, those kind, I'll give you a great example. My wife's going to kill me if she ever listens to this. But my wife will get on this kick where she watches this uh, these uh, high drama smut shows, right? these reality TV shows where they're, they're just like constantly yelling mm -hmm. at each other and arguing and fighting and blah, blah, blah. Drives me crazy. I hate them. Um, but I noticed that when she, when she gets on these kicks to watch these shows, like she, uh, gets a little more dramatic with me, uh, you, you know, over, over stupid things like taking the trash out. And, um, yeah, you know, let, let me say my, my wife and I, we, we have a great marriage. It's, it's, uh, you know, she's, she's my best friend and, and, you know, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way. But um, she gets really dramatic when she watches these really dramatic shows. How does that tie into what you're talking about? That that kind of stuff and, and people you surround yourself with. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, there, you know, there's an old saying that we are the average of the five people we hang out with and, you know, the most. And there's an old there's an old uh, saying, you know, hang out with five, uh, four millionaires and become the fifth. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, definitely, you know, we uh, you know, we 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 take on the attributes, we take on the thinking, the habitual mannerisms and habitual behaviors of the people we ha- hang out with. By the way, my I, I can't escape this. My wife's going to hear this because she's at the other end of the room. But she watches those shows too. <laughs> so, and I'll be honest, a couple of years ago, I kind of got into one for a while, man. Shit was crazy. I know, right? Crazy. I, I have too. I've gotten yeah, into them know. sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's it, you know, my mom was like this super, super religious woman. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I hated it and I never really, you know, agreed with the things she said. But I remember one of the things she used to, some scripture, I have no idea where it is in the Bible, but she used to always uh, quote it. She would say bad associations spoil useful habits, hmm. right? And, and and I mean, that's how foundational that concept is, right? It goes back thousands of years. You hang out with the wrong people, right? And bad things can happen. You hang out with good people, good things are going to happen. So definitely, yeah. you know, we, we kind of assume the attributes, the traits, the characteristics. And, uh, you know, I always tell people I want to be like the least successful person person in the group I hang out with, right? Because I'm trying to learn from these people. I, I, I said that one time I was speaking in, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio uh, with Ray Lewis, the football player. And I made that comment. He and I were speaking on the stage and I made that comment that you're the the average of the five people you you uh, you hang out with the most. And and somebody on our team had a clip of it, video clip, and they put it on Facebook years back. And man, the outrage was unbelievable, right? People were so offended, which goes to the nature of our society. Everybody's so incredibly uh, easily offended these days. But mm-hmm. people are like, so you just don't help the poor people? You just don't help people who are struggling? That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I help people all the time. Uh, I'll give them my time. I'll give them my money. Uh, so long as they're trying to help themselves, right? I'm, I'm not being on a handout type yeah. of thing. Um, but but the point is, is that we just adopt the, the uh, aspirations of the people we hang out with, right? You, you hang out with people that are successful. They're talking about different things than, than your buddy that was in jail last weekend. It's just the reality of life. For sure. You know, so For you got to sure. be very careful who you hang out with. And, and I'll tell you this too. The subconscious brain is the most powerful problem-solving supercomputer in the history of the world, right? You can give your subconscious brain any problem it will figure it out. We probably all have the experience where, you know, you're uh, you're trying to solve a problem. I mean, it could be a mechanical problem, a financial problem, any kind of problem. And you just can't figure it out for the life of you, mm-hmm. right? And then one night, two or three nights later, you wake up in the middle of the night and bam, there's a solution. You know, we've all had that experience. The reason that happens is that your subconscious brain never stops trying to solve the problems that you give it. It's very sensitive to anything that you're trying to accomplish it will work 24-7, nonstop, never sleeps, never eats, trying to solve your problems. So the fact that the subconscious brain is such a powerful problem-solving computer, right, that's great. The bad news is, is that as powerful as it is to solve your problems, it's a lousy judge of character. Like it will act on negative stimulus just as much as it will act on positive stimulus. So if I'm around a bunch of people that are constantly feeding my brain with negative shit, my subconscious mind is picking up on that, right? My wife and I, we go to bed at night. We love to watch these forensic Yeah, right? <laughs> I and knew we'd like, get along. How many dumbass dudes, yeah, how many dumbass dudes, like, end up thinking they can get away with killing their right? wife? Like, where do you ever start getting that idea? Well, I, well, it's because they thought something, 
and the subconscious mind helps them. I figure swear, out it's plan. like it's like what you're talking about. They watch a bunch of forensic files and think that you know they see all these mistakes. You'd think they'd learn yeah. from it, and so they do it differently. But no, they do yeah. the exact same damn thing. Well, my wife better be careful. <laughs> Although I, my wife better be careful. I I, I told her. I, I've been married over 25 years now. If you take all of my marriages and you stack them up end to end, it's over 25 uh-huh. years. Uh, unfortunately, it was four marriages. But I told my wife, I'll never get divorced again. Uh, I may go back to the joint for murder, but I ain't ever getting divorced <laughs> again because that shit's yeah, hard. Yeah, and expensive. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's incredible. What, one thing that uh, the way that uh, really struck me in, in one of your seminars you were you were talking about, and, and I think that this will help a lot of people because – um, I, I'm kind of a simple minded dude. I, things, things hit me that when you're talking about like a complicated thing and you, then you say something simple, simple and simplifies it in my mind and it all of a sudden it's applicable to my own life. Right. So you were talking about with, uh, what you're saying with what's going into your mind and what's coming back out. Right. People that, uh, right. grew up in a family like mine and it sounds like, like yours, the mom's sitting there telling you, not eat everything on your plate. Finish your plate. Eat everything. You're not leaving until you, you finish everything on your plate. That's that's what a good boy's going to do, right? And then you grow up. And, uh, you know, you go to a restaurant and they bring out all this freaking food. And it's like you feel like subconsciously you have to eat everything uh, or, or, or you're doing right. like a bad deed if you don't. And and this is, a, this is how uh, many of us become overweight. And it, it's, it's because a lot of that... The point, let me put it to you this way. My first daughter was born right before I went to that seminar. Um, well, a couple of years before uh, I've never made her or nor my wife sit down and finish everything that was on her plate. They eat till they're full. Right. And <laughs> I don't have overweight kids. Well, because of you, that message. Right. But the point is, is, right. is it's not always That's your crazy. fault. What's in your mind. Uh, it was put in your mind and, and to put this into like a, um, without getting like awkward about trying to move this into a hunting uh, message. But, but a lot of people, especially if you're on social media, when, when you're watching uh, your social media pages and, and, and people posting these different things and, and getting all fired up about, you know, well, I didn't get a deer this year because of all the non-resident hunters or all the, the full moon affected my, my elk in, in my area. And I, I couldn't call in a bull, uh, you know, the, the, because of this, people shooting too small a bucks. We don't have any big bucks or people shooting all the big bucks. So we've got nothing but a bunch of small bucks, you know, all these different things that people use as excuses as to why they didn't notch a tag is all mental because why mm. is it that there's other people out there in the same area doing the same thing that are notching tags on what their goal was. And it's, it's not because of, right. you know, non-resident hunters doing this. I know we all get upset about, our, our units getting overly crowded, but my unit got really crowded. And you know what? I still got away from people. You, it's, it's all about what's in your mind and, and how you apply yourself to, to get out there in the field and, and do it the right way. I mean, I mean, get off the, I can tell you right now, get off the road. You won't find it so crowded when you're off the roads. So. Right. No, that's such a great point, Jim, because uh, I find that people in similar circumstances uh, I talk about it normally in business because that's, you know, most of my work mm-hmm. is in business and sales development, but it's the same thing you just said. Like, so in business, you can have three salespeople with the same boss, the same leads, the same economy, the same customers. And you got, you know, one guy kicking ass, one guy doing okay. And one guy uh, barely yeah. getting by. 
right? They all have the same external condition. So, uh, and again, I don't know much about hunting. I've never been, when I was a kid, we used to do some small game hunting, but I've never done a big game hunting. And, you know, with my past now, I can't even own a gun. So that's not going to happen. I told my wife, if I ever go hunting, I'm going to be chasing the deer to the woods. Trying can, to catch can you it, get you know, a bow or something? But, um, you know, but uh, yeah. And in fact, that's what my wife said this morning. She goes in and I, I, I know that, um, oh, hell, what's his name? The old rock Ted and Nugent. roller, uh, Ted, um, uh, <laughs> Ted Nugent's yeah, a big yeah. bow hunter I've, I've read. Yeah, I know that's really common and, and and probably very, very challenging. You know, one of the things I've learned about, about great sportsmen, like you don't just like wake up and go do it. Like there's so many various nuances to the art of being a great fisherman sure. or being a great hunter. And uh, But it, but it, exactly what you say, like the dude that's complaining there's not enough uh, small deer there's, or elk and there's not enough big ones or whatever, right? That dude should take that energy instead of complaining, like you say, because the other dude, you know, five miles down the road is, you know, filling his tags, you know, but the, the dude that's not like, he should, like, he should take that energy and like go to hunting school yeah, or watch yeah. some videos or no, read a book it. on how to be a better hunter. But it's much easier. It's much easier to it complain is. about and, it. And, and that, that could be related. I mean, we're talking specifically about hunting and I'll give you a great example. Like this, this last September, um, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast already, but, uh, for those of you who haven't heard it yet, um, it was a full moon. And, and so while just for your sake, like uh, a lot of people think that when you have a full moon, it shuts the elk up. They don't, they don't respond as well to calling and, and, and all, all these things. It, it just ruins a lot of people's hunts in their mind. It was a full moon and there was a lot of, um, out of state and other hunters, you know, we're out on public land. Um, that day I had called in this giant bull right out of this herd. They were all laying up on top of this hill and I, I, I let off a bugle and this bull responded and was on top of me within seconds. I, I, <laughs> I was super surprised. I've never had a bull come in that fast. Anyway, my, I'm filming my hunt and I've got this camera mounted on my shoulder strap on my pack and my bow gets caught up in it as I'm drawn back. And I've got the whole thing on film and I'm cussing. Uh, you know, I'm like, shit, fuck, you know, you know and this bull's standing there looking at me 20 feet from me. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, finally he's like, no, I'm out of here. I don't know what this dude's doing, but I, I think he's trying to shoot me and his bow's hung up in his camera. He's stupid. And he leaves. Right. And anyway, it was this great call in, got this bull fired up twice and, and all these things. And I, I get home that night and I, I jump on like Facebook or something and, and I'm reading all these comments from people that are like, oh man, this full moon and all these other hunters, the elk aren't talking. They're being quiet. They're not aggressive. It's the rut is going to be late. The bulls are just acting weird. All these different excuses. And it's like you said, in, in like a sales environment, it, it's always, oh, well, the company's giving me all the bad leads. All the customers that I get don't have money. All the customers that I get, I'm, I'm running one leggers, uh, all these different things that, uh, I think that in any aspect of your life, you could sit there and, and you can make excuses your entire life. And then on your dying bed, you, you can, you can say that my life sucked because of everything else and, and, and everybody else, or you can create your own destiny. And, and right. I could tell you that like what, what you talk about, it, it like legitimately changed the trajectory of my career. I did okay before I met you, Wally, I, I, I wasn't hurting, but after I met you, uh, my income dramatically increased. And it was actually one of the lines you talked about was, do you trust me with this awesome. project? I say that to this day to customers and I close more job. I'm the top really? sales guy in my company and have yeah. been the entire time I've been there. Um, and, uh, 
that uh, that line, I, I still awesome. use it to this day. So anyway, the point being, um, folks listening, you know, be open to to learning about this and and using your mind as a tool rather than a crutch. And and this is this is yeah. great stuff, Wally, because. If, for those of you that haven't yet read the book, which, by the way, we're going to do uh, some book giveaways, some uh, Wally Books giveaways. Um, you talk about this this thing. Um, well, I don't actually I don't know if it's in the upside of fear or power of consistency. It's been a while since I've read both of those. Um, do you want to actually tell us a little bit about power of cons- consistency first? Yeah, so uh, if if your listeners want to take a deep dive in understanding the mindset and how it relates to our success or failure in life, uh, I wrote a book called The Power of Consistency. You can get it on Amazon or the audio you can get on Amazon. Uh, it's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Very proud of that. And the reason I think that book has been so successful is because the principles are so so simple. And it's part of what we've been talking about with you know what's in the box, what's in your head eventually comes out. But in that book, I talk about the neurology of, of why. Why is it that something you think can happen? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a quick story here, blow your mind, and ta- in terms of the power of the subconscious brain. Dr. Covey used to say there's this conscious and unconscious serendipity of the universe. And there's just so many examples of how, you know, it's kind of like if you ever think of a friend or a family member, and then five minutes later they call. Like it's, it's that shit happening on another dimension that neuroscientists don't understand yet. We're not even close to understanding the power of the brain, the power of thought, the power of uh, the subconscious. But I'll give you an example of the manifestation of it. So I'm a, I love cars, right? And I've got a number of really cool cars. And uh, three years ago in 2018, I was watching a video on YouTube uh, of Floyd Money Mayweather, the boxer, and he's got this crazy car collection. He was showing this Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon that he had. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very special G-Wagon. It's called the 4x4 Squared. And they only made 300 of them in 2018. They, and that's, they quit making them. So they made these 300. This thing is seven and a half feet tall, <laughs> seven feet wide. It's a beast of a vehicle. I mean, it's ridiculously cool. So I'm watching this video and I'm like, man, that's the coolest SUV I've ever seen. I had never seen a G-Wagon square. I've seen plenty of G-Wagons, but never the squared. So what I did, and it was November 18th, uh, 2018, because I took a picture. I went and found one on the internet and I took a picture of it. Right. And I put it on my dream board. A dream board is a very simple way yep. that you can program your subconscious mind to be working on the things that you want. It can be an image of income, an image of a relationship, can be a beach house, can, whatever you want, you know, whatever you want. It's just put it somewhere where you see it every single day. And it sends a very powerful message to your subconscious like, hey, go out and figure this shit out for me because it will. Like you can read the book and get in more detail. But but suffice to say, it will. So I put the picture of this G-Wagon on a little uh, dream board I have on my phone, right? Just a few pictures of things I want to accomplish. No no rush, right? Bucket list deal. And over a couple of months later, I'm talking to a, a, a guy that sells cars. I bought a, a car from him before out in San Diego. And, and I said, hey, you ever see one of these G-Wagon squares? He goes, oh, yeah, man, they're hard to find. They made 300 of them. And I'm like, yeah, if you ever see one, you ever get one, let me know. Two years goes by. He calls me up last year in 2020. He calls me up and he says, hey, I got a G-Wagon squared here. It's in perfect condition, 10,000 miles. Uh, you know, you want to come take a look at it. So I just, we just talked over the phone. I looked at pictures of it. I knew I could trust him because I bought cars from him before. I ended up buying a G-Wagon. A couple of weeks later, I fly out to San Diego, out to La Jolla, and I drive it back to Colorado. <laughs> and I get it home. It's the coolest car ever. I mean, it's a beast of, uh, of a vehicle. About two weeks later, my wife comes down to the office and, and she goes, she said, Hey, I got the title work on that, on that G wagon. I'm like, well, just put it there on the desk. 
She goes, no, no, you, you won't believe this. Who do you think owned that G-Wagon before You're me? You're kidding me. Floyd, You are Money, shitting me. Mayweather. Whoa. It wasn't just like the one. And no, I'm not kidding. Uh, if, if, if we were in the same room, I, I got a picture of the title right here. I kept it. I couldn't believe it. So it wasn't one just like the one. It was the exact same G-Wagon that I watched a video of two years earlier. That's the power of the subconscious mind. I could give you a hundred examples it, it, it if works we had for me. time it's, of how that shit yeah. works in our yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it can be just as negative. It can be something negative too. You know, Nietzsche said we attract that which we fear, right? Emerson said we become what we think about all day long, right? So you got to be careful what you think. Mm. That's why I say you got to think about what you think about before you think it's about so it. so freaking powerful. I mean, I, I, I did exactly what you did. I printed out a picture of this boat that was like my dream boat. Uh, 18 months later, I had it. I had it. Cash, cashed out, paid for, and um, turns out it wasn't great for fishing. Uh, one of those big old boats with a kitchen and, you know, bathroom and all this stuff in it and $300 to fill it up in gas and <laughs> had it for two years and I sold it and came up with another dream boat. But I want to make a point um, that uh, what, what you're talking about with, so a G-Wagon, a, a G-Wagon is not um, an affordable vehicle for, for most people, right? Is that a, is that a fair statement? Well, and the G wagon squared is about three times <laughs> a regular G wagon, so no, they're not cheap. They're, they're and, not competing on price. They're not competing on price for your business, for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and you've got a you've got a home in Maui. Is that correct? Actually, actually, we sold that a few years back. My wife oh, and did I you? sold it, but yeah, we have one out there for years. Yeah. What what I'm trying to articulate here, Wally, is uh, to the to the audience that that doesn't know fully your story. Which uh, again, you you guys just gotta you gotta get that book because it is it will it'll walk you through the whole story and give you the full picture here. But you you walked out of prison in I want to say it was like 2002 2003, um, broke uh, with with no real future. Um, all, you know, destitute in, and just all you had was this different mindset. And I remember yep. reading in your book that you're, you're like going door to door to all these different companies and, and they're all turning you down. Well, what's, what's your history? What's your, you know, what experience do you have? Have you ever been convicted of a felony and all, all these things? And you're just getting your teeth kicked in and you kept going, knocking on all these doors. And finally you come to this company, it's an HVAC company. And the guy gives you a shot at being a sales guy for him. Because he needed a sales yep. guy, and and uh, and you were there and and ready, and um, I I can't remember what you you would you would give them this this line that uh, something about how um you promise you're gonna work your butt off for them, and yep. and I I can't remember anyway. They read. I got, well, dude, I'm telling you, you pay pretty close attention because <laughs> you're really close on them. all these facts are really 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 close, and so. The the point being is is you got this job you be, you became a salesman then all of a sudden you became you you somehow ended up owning this business you purchased this business or or something and and then next thing you know within five years of being out of prison you own um, was it Wright Heating and Air in Colorado Springs or something like that um, yeah I originally started with the company Best Value I ended up buying four or five of my competitors one of those was Wright Plumbing and Heating which was a 70 something year old company at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we rebranded everything under that, that company. Cause it was the, the, you know, such a, such an old company. 
So you've got, you get this company, you build this company, you build this great, incredible sales force. You've got these technicians and installers and all these people working for you. And then you start teaching other people um, how you became successful in selling this equipment and becoming successful with, within the HVAC company. And, and for, for other people's uh, or, or other companies out there, you, you know, a lot of this stuff was um, it just not known like how, how, what kind of process to have. I had like an outdated sales process that I was using and it worked. It, it was pretty effective. But when I implemented your sales process and, and, uh, watched you, you were doing this thing with Mitsubishi where there was like this weekly video we'd watch as a company. And, and, yep. um, the point I'm trying to make is within five years of being walking out of prison, knocking on doors, being broke and, and living in like this halfway house, uh, you, you've got this Inc. 500 company, uh, all these employees, you've got millions of dollars, you're buying homes in Maui and you're writing books and, and you're you're going all over the country, uh, giving these seminars and trying to help other people. Um, and uh, and you, you, I don't know if you still do this. Do you still make those... Uh, Really cool, cool videos like that one about the Chernobyl, um, talking about the yeah, we, yeah, we do some of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I've used those. Yeah, you get paid for you get paid for what you know, not for exactly. What you do. So now I, I'm no longer an HVAC. I, I actually sell uh, commercial roofing now, and um, okay. uh, for for a contractor, and and I've trained our roofing technicians with some of those videos. I've used I've used that uh, awesome. that video, and and they're like, well, what? Wait a minute, he's talking about residential HVAC sales. No, nope, don't worry about it. It's 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 applicable everywhere, and so. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, I guess. I guess the long story short, what I'm trying to articulate is is you were able to take with just the power of your mind and your mindset and what you were putting into your box. Um, you are now a very wealthy man, and it didn't take very long when it, when you, when you got out of prison. I know that's been a long time now, but uh, at the at the time, I remember being yeah. amazed that I had never been to prison, but I had not seen that level of success. And like, what the hell does this guy know that I don't know? You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's just an amazing right. story, Wally. Well, I, I appreciate that, Jim. And I, and I think my story, you know, sometimes people, I was out in Las Vegas last week, I uh, was speaking at a couple of events out there and people will come up to me sometimes almost apologetically and say, man, I don't, I don't want to be insulting here, but if you can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> like, that's not an insult, man. That's the whole point of the story. Say that to me I got 103 IQ. My wife keeps challenging. Yeah, my wife keeps challenging me to go get another IQ test, but I've had it tested three times. Every time I went to prison, they give you a, you know, a, a series of tests. And one of those tests is an IQ test. And I scored out about 103, 104 every time, you know? So my success is not a product of being smart or, you know, anything like that. It's just, it's just focus and hard work. And, and the reason my, my story, I think serves a purpose is because if you go back, as you mentioned, 2003, I walk out of prison for the last time, January of 2003, my life today it's not a reflection of dropping out of high school, going to prison, being broke and all that stuff. My life today is a reflection of the decisions that I made about being a, a convicted felon and, and a loser and all that kind yeah. of stuff, right? So my point is, is that our lives are not a reflection of our problems and our challenges. Our lives are a reflection of the decisions and choices that we make about those problems. And where do those choices come from? They come from your box inside your head. That's why you got to know what's in there. And you got to make sure what's in there is what you put in there every morning, not something your dad or your mom or your grandfather put in yeah. there 40 years ago. 
Because guess what? You might want some different shit than they wanted, but they put their junk in your trunk. When you come into this world as a kid, as a baby, right? Your box is empty. You don't have any opinions about wealth and money and anything, right? You're just a kid, right? And But then the world around you, family and neighborhoods and movies and society, they start putting all this shit in your head. Well, some of the stuff they put in there yeah. is bullshit. But the problem is when you when, when you're told something as a kid, like when your dad tells you something when you're a kid, that's gospel, right? You don't second guess that shit. You don't say, no, dad, I think you're actually incorrect. You're 10 <laughs> years old. You don't have the capacity to challenge your father. So you accept it as truth. Well, what if it's bullshit? You grow up making decisions based on ideas that were somebody else's ideas that were bullshit. I'll give you an example. My dad used to tell me when I was a kid, my dad used to say rich people are crooks. My dad believed that anybody with money was a crook, which of course was taught to him by his father who grew up in the Great Depression. In the Great Depression, we learned what? Rich people are crooks, right? We call them robber barons, right? The the Rockefellers and J.P. Morgan, right? So my grandfather learned that. He taught it to my dad and my dad taught it to me. And I believed it for many years that rich people were crooks. So when I grew up, I didn't see the problem in my 20s, you know, stealing money to get money because, hey, rich people are crooks, right, dad? And I'm not saying my dad's responsible for what I did as a grown man. I'm just saying it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. We've all known the kid who was told they'll never amount to nothing, right? Why can't you be like your brother? You're too black. You're too white. You're too tall. You're too thin. You're too fat. You're too short. You're too whatever. And we believe that shit. And then you put that stuff in a kid's head. They grow up 20 years later. They start pulling those yeah, same ideas yeah. right out of their head. And that's why we call it the self-fulfilling prophecy. God, so many people in this country could benefit from from hearing that kind of that kind of message. I, I, apparently, a lot of people uh, grew up uh, with with the impression. And I, I kind of had this, too, that rich people were nothing but crooks and, and uh, they're what's wrong with America. And and then I, I grew up mm-hmm. and I, I, I kind of formed my own opinion about it because I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to be um successful enough that I didn't have to worry about money. And I, I, what I learned is I never got a job from a poor person. And so, um, they're not as evil as, as maybe, maybe some people make them out to be. And, and so I, now, now we've got the society where we're just surrounded by all these people that it's all, it's all the rich people's fault. And what's, what's problem, what's problematic in my mind for that. It's, it's other rich people propagating that message to poor people to make them hate other rich people that aren't even because their their political ideology is different and people are fucking falling for it it drives me crazy yeah no it's crazy 40 percent of the people in this country uh belong to a particular party and they villainize and vilify rich people all day yeah. long as a means to continue to to to, uh, to consolidate more power and the irony is you just said those people are wealthy too, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Those people are wealthy. And for some reason, they found it in their best interest to to uh, to vilify other successful people. I'll give you a quick story. My son's 29 now. Uh, by the way, just for your listeners, when I got out of prison the last time, my son was 10. And I got custody of him and I raised him. And uh, he's 29 uh, now. I graduated from University of Colorado a few years back. and uh, But when he was about 14, uh, he started getting some of these crazy ideas in his head. Uh, it was back when, you know, people were talking about give your fair share. And of course they keep saying, yeah, yeah. you know, wealthy people uh, should give their fair share. And my son and I were on a ski lift up in Breckenridge, Colorado. We were having this conversation and uh, I was saying, you know, son, it's about individual liberty and, and you know, capitalism and stuff. And he goes, well, dad, well, but why don't you give your fair share? 
And I about pushed him out of the fucking ski lift. I was so furious. I said, son, I said, what do you suppose I paid in taxes this year in income taxes? He goes, I don't know. And that year I had paid $300,000 in income Jeez. taxes. I said, I paid $300,000. In and he's like, what? 300000 That's how much you made? I said, no, that's what I paid in taxes. Mm-hmm. And it is that completely changed his perspective. He's like, holy cow, I think you're paying your fair share. I'm like, no shit, I'm paying my fair share. But these people want to vilify me and act like I'm some stingy, you know, uh, a robber baron yeah. raping and pillaging other people, you know, for my own personal gain. I get so sick of it. It's oh, I get I, I it. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy as if, first of all, it's it's nobody else's business. That's that's part of their problem is is their life is going nowhere because they're too worried about other people's business. And and I'm old school, man. I, I believe in, in freedom, liberty and and what my grandma used to say, mind your manners and mind your business. Who cares what somebody yep. else is making and 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 why is it anybody else's business to say and dictate that uh, they should pay more of their hard earned money because they put in the effort and got it. Now I'm not saying that all rich people, um, you know, work their, their ass off like you did and, and, and made your own, uh, you know, destiny because a lot of people it is handed to it, but that's not their fault. That's what they were born into. So w- there's still no reason to demonize them, but it, it's just that mindset. Yep. And, and it's, it's frustrating in its, um, y- you know, you got, People, the, these politicians out there making these childish statements, wearing dresses that say tax the rich. And you got the, you know, the Speaker of the House that's been right. in office for 40 some odd years making a, a basic six figure income. Nothing, nothing crazy. But somehow she's one of the richest women in the world. And and it's just I, I they're the same ones right. propagating this message that rich people are bad. It, it, it's such a hypocrisy. Anyway, you could tell I get fired up about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's insane. And, 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 well, and you look at the people that have accumulated wealth that are out there are doing this stuff, and it's just, it's just mind-boggling. But that's, you know, that's, that's human nature, man. All I can tell you is that this Virginia election was really interesting, by yeah. the way, because they're saying that this guy, Youngin, won because uh, he was a misogynist and he was a racist and he was given the racist dog whistles. But the same Virginia voters elected the first black woman as lieutenant governor yeah, in Virginia's yeah. history. They don't now, talk about how that. in the hell can those people be racist, misogynist, the same vote on the same ticket they put this woman in office, you know, uh, who was a, a Jamaican immigrant, uh, came over uh, with her parents when she was very young, uh, served in the military, got her citizenship, ran for office, and just, mm-hmm. just a rock star. And it's like people buy into they that shit. Do. It's, it's mind boggling. Like they can't see it. Like it, it doesn't make sense. It's just, and, and, and that's just because they don't have any other argument. So they're, they're this, this whole woke bullshit that's, that's going around. They, they're able mm-hmm. to use these highly emotional terms that can go, you know, viral on Twitter or something like that. Like, oh, you're a misogynist, racist, homophobic, bigoted, you know, whatever. And it's it's just the same. No matter right. what argument is on the table, that's what it all goes back to. And there's no substance to it. There's no argument. There's no facts. There's no evidence. There's no reality in it. And and so, but it's so highly emotional. And these people that don't really pay attention, they could sit there and read a tweet, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's right. That's racist. That's a racist thing." And it's just it's getting out of control. And I hope that we can pull ourselves back. 
and 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 get out of this and and become you know the the America that once was where where we're all on the same team still yeah. and and we can we can debate things without hating each other and and calling each other racist and and all these things that have have just torn apart our society in in a way and and what do you see in the future do you do you see do you see any kind of shift well, I, I I think I listen. It's it's it, you got to understand why why do people do that? Why do they cause these divisions? Well, because it helps them consolidate wealth and power, and so you have um, you have a group of people that benefit from this. And as long as people benefit by gaining wealth and power, well, I mean, you know, that's what they're going to keep doing. And 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 it, it's a little disheartening. I my wife and I were actually both, uh, uh, you know, it happy and like relieved, like, wow, these people in Virginia, like they're saying enough is enough. And that was the the first yeah. shot across the bow, I think, that people are going to start pushing back on some of this stuff. And so I think we'll see more of it next year. So I, I think there's definitely hope because, but I was to the point where I was thinking, man, like we're so outnumbered, they're going to have all the power and we're not going to have a voice. They're just going to tax the shit out of us and they're going to tell us what to do. But I mean, I, I think this week we saw some people pushing back, and that was that was really good. This this uh, this guy, I forget his name now, that won the uh, the mayor's mayor's race in yeah, New York City, yeah. is a former cop, right? So all this defund the police shit's going to come to a screeching halt too. Yeah, yeah, because that's the dumbest New idea York, it I've is ever heard in my thing. life. And you know who was pushing back on that the most? The people that were pushing back on that the most were poor minorities who are often, most often, the victims. I'm not often the victim of a crime. I live in this big, luxurious neighborhood. Ain't nobody fucking with me. But it's people that are in these minority communities that are underserved, underprivileged. They're the ones that are the victims of crime. And the people that are supposed to bear their leaders and their protectors are the yeah, ones saying, it's let's get rid of the police. It's like it's hard to believe people can be so stupid. We could do a really long podcast on all this stuff, Wally. <laughs> I, I've been in the mood to rant. Yeah, we get canceled. We'd get canceled. <laughs> No, yeah, I am it too. Just, it makes it, me it's, crazy, it's dude. The, the, hypo- the hypocrisies. Like, I, I'll give you, and I'll keep this quick. We're running a little long here, but uh, the, the hypocrisy is driving me crazy. Back to my day job thing where, where I'm selling commercial roofing. I've got this customer over in Seattle. So I, I live in North Idaho, and I cover my territory is, is, is uh, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, and Montana. Um, oh, buddy. That's oh, buddy. Yeah. Bit of and so. Man. Yeah, we we absolutely love it, but uh, it's it's a it's a weird world when you know I live I live outside of a town of of less than six hundred people, uh, but I, I I'm in the big city quite often, and so I have to go to Seattle and, and and do these things. But this this particular school district over there, they have this thing where um, they they pass this levy, but as part of the stipulation, the voters decided that in order for a business to do uh, any kind of work for the school district. They have to be a minority or woman-owned business, and uh, it's what's frustrating to me is for for our company. They have no idea how much that would benefit our employees that work for us that can have that kind of a project that'll keep them busy on on a prevailing wage wage project like that for for how long, you know. Uh, and this this woman-owned yeah. business thing. This is coming from the same people who tell us that gender doesn't matter, and and that. Um, it, 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 all of that is irrelevant. And, and, uh, you know, I, I told my boss, I called my boss up. I'm like, dude, I need you to uh, identify as a woman for uh, this project I'm bidding because these Democrats <laughs> over there, 
that uh, shove all this down our throat are also saying it has to be a woman-owned business. <laughs> the hypocrisy in it. Right. Well, plus you could go into women's room at the gym and have. Plus you go into yeah, women's room at the gym just, and watch all the girls' teams. Uh, I mean, there's a the, lot the of hypocrisy. Just blows my mind. Well, well, Wally. Um, it's crazy. Tell us. Tell everybody where they could find you. Yeah, so my website is uh, WeldonLong.com, Weldon, W-E-L-D-O-N, Long, L-O-N-G, WeldonLong.com. Also, check out my books uh, on Amazon, and uh, I know you and I talked about it briefly, but we're going to be launching a podcast of our own after the first of the year called Dream Big, and it's going to be interviews and, and stories of people that have accomplished great things, but only after come overcoming enormous adversity, right? So I won't be having Paris Hilton on the show. It'll be people that, that struggle. I I've learned in my life, uh, that, that people that are really successful, typically not always, but typically there's some major adversity they had to overcome. And I think the more that people hear those stories, the less, uh, less, the less down they'll get about their adversity when they, when they realize that's just part of the process, man, you got to suffer before you really get great things in life, yeah. at least in most cases. So that's what we're going to be highlighting, just great stories of overcoming adversity and achieving amazing things. And I can't wait for your podcast. I, I have been, you've been one of those dudes, I'm like, man, why doesn't he have a podcast? Because you're so good at this. So And, and that's coming out in like uh, January, you said? Yeah, I, I, we'll launch in January. I'm not sure exactly when. I'm not sure if we're going to start maybe doing it once a month or twice a month or, yeah. or once a week. We're still working on some of those details. And I'm going to be in touch with you, by the way, uh, to get some tips. I know you've had a very successful podcast the last couple of years, and we definitely want to, uh, you know, straighten out the learning curve as much as we can and yeah. not make any mistakes we don't have to make. Yeah, hit me up, man. I could save you a lot of ass ache. Uh, I, I wish somebody would have done that for me when I started. <laughs> so, um, right. yeah, for sure. Yeah. But uh, it's going to be good. So, guys, and I, I want you to know, I'm going to be giving away a couple of books for uh, for for Wally that that he wrote specifically. Um, that uh, all you have to do is is make sure you're following Wally on either Instagram or on Facebook, uh, and you are following the Western Huntsman on Instagram. Um, I, I'm uh, kind of I, I keep saying I'm new to Instagram. I've been saying that for a year, uh, but uh, I still don't really know what I'm doing. So we're trying to build our followers on that side. <laughs> so you're following. I don't know either. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know shit about it, man. But uh, we're we're trying. So guys, if you're jump on there, follow Weldon Long. Well, actually, what is your Instagram? Let me pull you back up here on on Instagram so I get that right. I'll put it all in the show notes. It's just all at it's at all at WeldonLong.com. Facebook is Weldon Long. Instagram, yeah, all those are just my gotcha. name. At, at Weldon Long. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So at Weldon Long, uh, guys, this will all be in the show notes. So make sure you are following him. You are following the Western Huntsman, and I'm going to pick out some random winners and send some of these books out. I've got, I believe, three of them. And so, um, if you guys, uh, have any questions or, or need to get in, in touch with Wally, uh, you know, whatever the case is, go to weldonlong.com and, and check out the website. There's a really good blog, yep. by the way, you've got a great blog, um, and, and some videos and other content there. And so, um, looking forward to the podcast, Wally, I appreciate you coming on, man. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch. And, and, uh, again, thanks again. It's been great. Well, Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Congratulations on uh, on living your dream and getting to the part of the country. And it sounds like you spent a lot of time doing the stuff you love. I know you work and you've had a lot of yeah. success in yourself here, but it sounds like you spent a lot of time uh, doing the stuff that you that you love out in the woods and just uh, just living the dream, man. Yeah, appreciate it, man. A lot of that. Uh, again, I, I I sincerely mean it when I say 
my, my life has become what it has become because of the messaging that you provided me over a decade ago. So thank you very I much. I appreciate and, that, man. It's very and, generous uh, of you to say, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon, brother. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.